0: and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: I'd like to share with you, as I mentioned last week, I did something that I have rarely done over the decades, of years, is to tip off what I plan to speak on today. And what I'd like to speak on today involves the Lord's Prayer. We actually sang it today, the Ted Pierce version, a beautiful version, there are many versions And the Lord's Prayer is called by different names by different people. I often refer to it, and and I'm sure maybe you do, as the Our Father. How many of you have called that prayer the Our Father? I call it that. In in my notes and what I'll be sharing with you today, I'll use different names for it, but I'm referring to the prayer, uh, sometimes called the Apostles' Prayer, it's called the Lord's Prayer. it's been referenced as the model prayer. In other words, the, the, the way that prayer should go as a model, as a, an, uh, an example. It's been called the perfect prayer. Now, that's a big statement, the perfect prayer. <laughs> and I still simply usually call just the Our Father, the Avenu prayer. I usually reserve using the word love. To speak about things that are living. I love my wife. I love my friends. And, and, and you probably do the same thing. Uh, and, but in this case, I'm going to use the word love to d- describe how I feel about the... Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. I love this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And some of you have noticed who've been attending Rosh Pina for a while that at times at the end of the service, rather than doing the birkatakonim, the priestly blessing, i like us to recite the Lord's Prayer together. The Our Father, this model prayer, this perfect prayer, the Apostles' Prayer, and all those names refer to that. And as I think about the... Lord's Prayer and look at what scripture says, I recognize that there's two different places where that prayer occurs. The first one is in Matatiao, Matthew chapter 6. That's where it's first mentioned. It's probably the most widely known reference. The other reference is in Luke, and we'll address that in a moment. But in Matthew chapter 6, I want to read the context of this prayer. Because my my goal today is to... to, We won't be able to do a complete exposition of this prayer. But I'd like us to re-familiarize ourselves with this prayer. Because a prayer that we say and know by heart, and many of us do know it by heart, uh, that can become a, a rote thing. We can start saying it by rote and really miss the intent or the impact of the words that we're saying. In Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5, all the way through verse 15, the context is Yeshua speaking in what is commonly called by theologians, the Sermon on the Mount. I remember years ago, the Jerusalem Post, uh, in a comical way... <laughs> in what is called the Dry Bones comics. How many are familiar with Dry Bones comics? Some of you are. Rather than the Sermon on the Mount, they had a picture of a big collie or a St. Bernard dog sitting on the top of a mount. And rather than saying the Sermon on the Mount, it said Sherman on the Mount. Sherman being the name of that puppy there. (laughs) There. Well, I'm not talking about Sherman on the Mount here. I'm talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. And here's what it says. And again, the context beginning with verse 5, just so we can get a fuller picture of this prayer. Verse 5, Matthew 6, Yeshua speaking. He said, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, but if you do not forgive them, forgive men their trespasses... Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. For some, as I read this, particularly when I came to the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, you probably knew different words. I was reading from the New King James Version. It's so beautiful in the King James Version. And as I was reading this, I, I think you probably grasped that this was a powerful statement by Yeshua. Yeshua. And the totality of that statement was much more than just the repeating of the prayer or the saying of the prayer. It involved other issues. In the beginning, beginning with verse 5, there were other issues. It began with the statement, "...and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites." And then it ended, as we read it today, contextually, it ended with, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Frankly, both those ideas are probably enough to meditate on it for one day. And yet between those, those bookend statements, we find the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And let's look also at the second mention of this prayer it's repeated similar words not exactly the same which by the way is not a proof of something wrong with the new covenant it's a proof something's right with the new covenant it shows that the writers they they didn't just sit down and collude they were individual writers and I promise and you, and you can check this out, if you go to do an event with someone, and then the next day you talk about that event, you're not going to use the exact same words or, or recall the exact same thing that occurred at that event. You'll express it in your way with the same intent and purpose, and that's exactly how we see the the Gospels. Four unique voices expressing what they experienced and saw. And in this case, with the Our Father prayer, Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, it says this, and again, notice the context. Now it came to pass as Yeshua was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his talmidim, one of his disciples, said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as Yohanan HaMatbil, John the Immerser, as John also taught his Talmidim, his disciples. So Yeshua said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now beyond the meaning of the words of this prayer, because we could parse these words, Go back, look at the Greek, try to figure out the Aramaic slash Hebrew of these words. But beyond those things, I want to express to you several what I think are important applications for us now in the 21st century here in Oklahoma City. Applications that are connected to this prayer, these two passages that seem to show Yeshua Yeshua as a person or a man who prayed and as one who taught others how to pray. So here are several points to consider, several applications to consider based upon this prayer. Point number one, (laughs) I hope you gathered it. I've emphasized it slightly in my remarks so far. Yeshua prayed, so should we. Take a moment to let that sink in. What is your prayer life like? Yeshua prayed. We don't get any sense of any any of the recounting of his life that he prayed, you know, hasty prayers. We do get the sense that he prayed heartfelt prayers. And when we get to Gethsemane, the final uh, stages as he's entering into Yerushalayim he prayed with such fervor that there was a physical reaction in him so point one is Yeshua prayed and I know there's an adage that I could use right here and I'm going to use it said if it was good enough for Yeshua it's good enough for us So frankly, if you don't hear anything else here today, I want to encourage you, encourage us, to take the call to prayer seriously. Find that place of prayer in your life. Grow that room of prayer in your life. By that, I mean the spiritual aspect of that. Grow in prayer. So point number one, Yeshua prayed, so should we. Point number two... Prayer was not a strange topic. It wasn't a strange topic of discussion for Yeshua and for his Talmudim. And I hope that we will recognize that prayer should not be some ethereal thing that's way out there, but something that's real for us. That's a matter of of impact and a matter of discussion for us at times. Have you ever prayed to the Lord and asked him and said, Lord, Teach me how to pray. That's exactly what happened with the Talmudim, with the shlichim, with the apostles. They wanted to learn how to pray. There are various books. One is, I won't mention the author, but it's with Messiah in the school of prayer, where prayer is looked at as something that you're learning, that we're learning together. So prayer was not a strange topic of discussion for Yeshua and his followers. I think we can do better as a community, better as individual believers in encouraging one another for prayer. One thing you can do is when someone comes up to you and says, you know, please pray with me about this. You really want to get them? Do it right then. It's something that I think you can do. They say, will you please pray with that? You know, when you're praying, will you remember me in prayer? Right there, do it. Say, can we pray right now? And by the way, that can make for some very unusual events. Because half the time, they're not expecting that. It's almost a cliche. Will you pray for me about this? And they're not really expecting a whole lot of action from you. You know what? Be proactive in prayer. Yeshua prayed, prayer wasn't a strange topic for them. Number three, Yeshua's followers wanted to learn more about prayer, so should we. Consider this, how many times have you done a study in scripture concerning prayer? Have you ever looked at some of the prayers in the Bible? Do you know how many there are in the Bible? Many, many all the way from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, from Sefer Bereshit all the way to Revelation. Many different prayers. And who prayed? Men prayed. Women prayed. Children prayed. Communities prayed. Families prayed. (laughs) I think you get the point. There's an equal opportunity for those who are willing to pray. Point number four there is a time to pray and there is a time to cease praying. Did you notice that in the Luke passage? Luke chapter 11 verse 1 tells us as Yeshua, it was as Yeshua ceased praying that they spoke to him. Now we don't know what type of prayer he was doing. Was it first century liturgical prayer? Was it spontaneous prayer? Was it a combination of both, which is what I tend to think? But they waited and when he ceased praying, praying they spoke to him and in Matthew chapter 6 verse 11 Yeshua said of the heathens they think that they will be heard for their many words it's the prayer that keeps going and going and going and going and going and going have you ever been in that kind of a prayer meeting where it just kept going and going and going and going the only problem with that well there's a lot of problems with it But by the time that person finishes, and even Yeshua ceased praying at one point, by the time that person finishes, you may be so, how do I say it, unalert that you can't even say amen. The snooze button may be on at that point. And point number five, the last point. It was common in the first century for esteemed rabbis with their Talmudim to formulate prayers, prayers that were meant for community usage. That was common. You probably noticed in Luke's, Luke informs us that, the, it says uh, that they came to Yeshua be, and mentioned that the Talmudim of Yohanan Matbil, John the Immerser, had taught, John had taught them how to pray. And hence, they wanted also to learn how to pray with Yeshua as the one telling them how to pray. Personal prayers, sometimes repeated prayers in our modern synagogues across the face of the earth, not just in America, but in our modern synagogues. And and I think I would add at this point, also in many churches, particularly certain denominations, The service does include repeating the prayers of someone else. And I'm convinced and fully convinced of this, that if the leaders of the first century Sanhedrin in Jerusalem had received Yeshua and accepted him and his teaching, etc., I feel pretty confident that Jewish liturgy today would include the Our Father prayer right alongside the Amidah, the Kaddish, the Elenu, and others that have come into modern Jewish forms of prayer and worship. If Yeshua had been received, that prayer, the one that we repeat sometimes here, might even be part of the liturgy in synagogues. Now, that's an unusual approach to this prayer, but I think history bears it out because within modern Jewish worship, in modern Jewish prayer, in the Siddur, and the prayer book, oftentimes they are prayers of others. And in some cases, the authors are known, and in other cases, the authors are not known. I think it's right for us here at Rosh Pina to recognize Messiah's prayer. To at times recite the Our Father, to remember and recite it. And also remember the Messianic Jew whose name was Sha'ul, commonly called Paul, to remember that he was a Pharisee who was born of Pharisaic parents. And as to the Torah, he was a blameless man. But he wrote several powerful prayers that are written and that we have for us. They're extant for our use within his epistles. Here's one example. Let me read this to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Please notice the very first statement. For this reason, what? I bow, I bend my knees. You know, it doesn't hurt if you're able to get on your knees before the Lord. It doesn't hurt. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Yeshua, from whom the whole family in earth, heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, listen to this prayer. And by the way, you're welcome to pray this prayer for me anytime you'd like to. (laughs) For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Yeshua, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. That Messiah may dwell where? In your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the believers what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Messiah, the love of Messiah which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 3, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the believing community by Messiah Yeshua to all generations forever and ever, and let us all say amen. How many think that's a powerful prayer? There are others within Scripture that, frankly, you can take those prayers and pray them and repeat them. Make them from your heart, but use these words, these ancient words. You realize these words are 2,000 years old. Use them. See what he prayed. See what the apostle advocated in prayer. How many of you want to be strengthened in your inner man? by the power of the Holy Spirit? How many of you want to understand more of the love of Messiah? How many of you want to be used of him to be filled with all the fullness of Hashem in your life? That's probably all of us hearing these words. Whether acknowledged or not, there's something deep inside that longs, longs for that type of personal relationship with the Lord. And I don't think we should lose sight at all of the fact that Yeshua's handpicked Shlichim, his apostles, every single one of them was a Sabra, a native Israelite born and raised in Israel. Probably conversant in Aramaic and Hebrew, maybe even knew some Greek, as is still the case in modern Israel. There are a lot of uh, languages that are spoken in the state of Israel but Yeshua's first apostles his first shlichim his apostles his earliest Talmudim were all Jews from Israel what we would call nowadays Sabras and his followers at that time in the first century they were in sync and connected with first century Judaism particularly in the area of Yehuda Judea And they were connected. They knew how it worked. They knew what it was about. The New Covenant is such a Jewish book. There's so many Jewish themes in the New Covenant in the Brit Hadashah. Just the very idea of a Mashiach comes forth from Judaism, or we might better say from the Scripture that promises Him who would come, even Yeshua, and may He come back again soon. So Yeshua's first century prayer is reflected, so much of what is said in his first century prayer is reflected in some of modern Jewish prayer. You see, Yeshua's prayer, though, begins with this statement of Inu our Father in heaven. Something like that, the first word, the main one, our Father, our Father. And it speaks of true spiritual intimacy. In a way that only Yeshua could have said, Our Father, because He left everything up there and came down here for you and for me. And this prayer, the Our Father prayer, that speaks of true spiritual intimacy, that's available to you and to me to have such intimacy through the shed blood of Yeshua, through a personal relationship with the Messiah. This very prayer has resonated for 2,000 years to the point where we're speaking of it today in 21st century Oklahoma City. So let's briefly examine each segment. Just briefly, as I mentioned in the beginning, we could spend many hours discussing this prayer. The words of this prayer, but I want to go through some of the words, or go through the words briefly segment by segment. For example, as I mentioned, the first statement is our Father. How many of you love that idea? I do. You know what it does? It puts us all in common ground. Our Father. And if you're a believer in the Messiah, you're his child. You're a a purchased, a, a ransomed, a redeemed child, and these elements here show that. The possibility of entering into an intimate and close relationship with the Lord. And at times, people sense something gnawing at them inside. They can't figure out what it is. And they try buying things. And they try alcohol. And they try other things. And no need to even mention those things. But what they really need is this personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. They need that so called God shaped vacuum inside of them, filled with the Spirit of God. And this statement, Our Father, speaks of what you and myself, if we are believers here today, we have a shared, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's shared. And this, the fact that it begins with our Father, that statement, really does show to me, and maybe you would agree with this, it shows to me that this prayer is suitable for liturgical use. It's not all-about-me kind of prayer. It's all about us and Him. It's all about a community and the one who's head of that community. Our Father it continues, and as I've already mentioned, says, Our Father who art in heaven. And here I'm using the King James Version. But that sets a proper perspective for prayer. I, I, just, I just marvel at this, that Yeshua, his blood relative through Miriam, his mother, was King David and David's son Solomon. And it was Solomon who wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Verses 1 and 2, are a truly, truly attention getting verse, in my opinion. Ecclesiastes Kohelet is called in Hebrew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He wrote this Walk prudently <laughs> when you go to the house of God. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. And it amplifies that idea in verse 2, and it says, do not be rash with your mouth. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. (laughs) And I love this next statement. (laughs) Can't tell you how many times I've been convicted by this statement. For God is in heaven, (laughs) and you are on the earth. (laughs) The next statement is, therefore, let your words be few. Isn't that reminiscent of what Yeshua talked about? About those the heathen that continually—it's all—it's all verbiage. It's verbiage. Where's the heartage? It's verbiage. When the prophet said, "Rend your heart and not your garments," our Father who art in heaven, it continues howled—an old English language word. Sanctified howled be thy name. In the Bible, when a name is spoken of, and you can go back to look at the Avot of Israel, the patriarchs, and see how each of their names had a meaning attached to them. Even Avram, originally called Avram, Exalted Father, becomes Avraham. The Hebrew letter He inserted, He meaning the letter that's repeated in the Shema Meforas, the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God. The Hebrew letter that's repeated is Hei. A person's name is often representative of that person. It shows something about that person. There was a song, and some of you remember and Please don't sing it. There was a song called A Boy Named Sue. <laughs> Any of you remember that one? <laughs> and I, when I first heard that, I didn't know how to deal with that. I was not a believer at all. A boy named Sue and, uh, you know, I think it was Johnny Cash or somebody like that. (laughs) A boy named Sue. And forgive me, some of you will be singing that today. So uh, sing this thing, How Great Thou Art Instead, all right? (laughs) But the whole idea was this, this boy named Sue. His name impacted him. The prayer says, How old be thy name. It recognizes the absolute greatness and holiness of God you realize that's the only real word that fits in there well? I mean, you can do synonyms for that. But when you talk about God and His glory and His greatness, how be His name? Holy, set apart, consecrated, sanctified, be His name. And when we recite the Kaddish, which we're scheduled to do next week, all the... Verbs that are used in the, in the text to describe God, how great he is, etc. Yeshua said, hallowed be thy name. We're declaring when we say that the holiness of, of the Lord himself. And even in this week's parashah and tasriah, it's repeated a number of times. Be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. Yeshua was pointing out that prayer, when we pray, that prayer is a holy act directed to the most holy God. So friends, please grow in prayer, but make sure you never lose sight of the howledness of God's name. Don't make him common. He's holy. He continued, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom and his will are absolutely inseparable. His kingdom and his will are inseparable. They're connected. If we declare in our lives that he is our king, then we are really saying that we are fully committed to doing his will because if we're not fully committed to doing his will as our king, then someone else has taken his place. Ultimately, his will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an exciting promise. I see it worked out in lives. Have you noticed that in your own life, that increasingly as you grow in the Lord, that you're wanting to do his will? How many of you can honestly say that? You want to do his will. You're not always a successful, at, but that's where you're heading. You want to please him. You want to do his will. And we pray that his kingdom comes soon. Bow, Yeshua, Bow. Come, Yeshua, come. May Yeshua come and establish his throne. May it be quickly. It continues, give us this day our daily bread. One of the more fascinating statements in this prayer. Because this is a beautiful phrase, but it's not a, a, a phrase unique to the Brit Shah. It's, it's a phrase that's rife with meaning. It's full of meaning. And during our consideration of the grandeur and the majesty of Adonai, we're reminded of God's ability, in fact, His willingness, and His actual provision for us. Has God provided for your needs? If He has, will you raise your hand? Has He provided for your needs? Yes, He has that prayer the prayer says give us this day our daily bread there's much more to talk about especially from a hebraic viewpoint but we can look back to this idea of bread and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 something yeshua quoted when he was tempted in Matthew Matthew chapter 4 Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 says and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness He led you to what? To humble you and test you and to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not, so he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now, is this statement true? The answer is yes. Because I feel quite assured that if God said, let there be no more earth, what do you think would happen? (laughs) There would be no more earth. He spoke the world into existence. If he said, let there be no more earth, and he spoke that out... What would be the impact? Because every word of God does not return to him void. It accomplishes according to Yeshayahu, Isaiah 55. It accomplishes everything that God purposes. So friends, we must not be ensnared or become ensnared in the temporal things of life we must realize and have faith trust that God does provide all our needs according to his riches and glory in messiah yeshua in fact in philippians chapter 4 verse 6 it says this it's one of the many commandments that are found in the new covenant in the brit Shah. it says be anxious for nothing I need to repent right now because sometimes I get anxious. How about you? Some translators say, don't worry about anything. And Yeshua said, how many of you from worrying can can change your stature basically? Change your situation through worry. Be anxious for nothing. And then there's this, it goes from nothing to everything in one breath. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by... Prayer and supplication. Sometimes that's the Achilles' heel in the equation. If we are a prayerless people rather than a prayerful people, our life is impacted by our prayerlessness. Prayer does many things. First of all, God responds according to his will. Hallelujah for that. Not only does it respond, but he is all powerful enough to respond in the way that he pleases. But I've also noted that prayer changes the heart of the prayer. And oftentimes, I've gone to the Lord in prayer about a particular matter. And and have you ever prayed that prayer? Well, Lord, change that person over there. If you've done that once or twice, you probably haven't done it a third time because the one who ends up being changed the most is you. And you realize that you're the clay being molded as you're on your knees, on your face before God, and you're lifting and making your requests known to him, something's happening inside of you. That place, that secret place where only God can touch, that place called the lev, the heart. And for those who bypass prayer in their life, and Yeshua did, and he even taught his apostles, that's what our subject is today, how to pray, gave them, as it's called, the model of prayer. But those that bypass prayer actually are hurting themselves and potentially, potentially doing less than they could for another situation, another person that they're concerned about. Intercession is a powerful thing. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with complaining, with... Thanksgiving. Do you make giving thanks to God part of your prayer life? It's not the only part, by the way, but it's an important part. Because it said prayer supplication with thanksgiving, and then it says, let your request be no- made known to Facebook. <laughs> I'm sorry, but people do it all the time. The first place we go is to our Father in heaven. And we make our request known to him who's able to intervene. And nothing's too difficult for him, even your situation or mine. Let your request be made known to God. And then there's this promise in verse 7. And the shalom of Adonai, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. How many of you have had a battle up here at times through Messiah Yeshua? And by the way, Philippians continues just a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 12, and it says, <laughs> Rob in a very, I guess, transparent way describes a little bit of his life. He says, I know how to be abased, And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. And then the clincher is the next statement. This is what he's really learned. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me cursed is the man who trusts in man, Jeremiah said, and makes the arm of flesh his strength. Jeremiah, Yermiah, hanavi Navi also said, blessed is the person whose strength is in the Lord. And Yeshua's prayer, he continued by saying, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Is forgiveness the great The key to prayer is a theological question. A heart that's inclined to do what's right before God will become a father forgive them they know not what they do type of heart. When that heart's inclined to doing what's right in the sight of God, father forgive them they don't know what they're doing. A heart of forgiveness That heart will desire to forgive rather than to never forgive. After Matthew 6, did you notice, after the prayer is mentioned in Matthew 6, in Matthew 6, verse 14, after the Our Father prayer, Yeshua continued immediately afterward, he said, For if you forgive men their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. How many of you want to be forgiven for your sins and your trespasses? If you forgive men their trespass, something happens when you loosen your life forgiveness towards others. And I know it's hard sometimes. You think, ha, ha, ha they really deserve it. <laughs> Your heavenly Father will also forgive you if you forgive. And it is in the scripture, the very next verse. I'm not making it up. Verse 15 of Matthew 6. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How many of you agree that that is a tough statement right there? Because at times we really think we have the right to not forgive them. We may even say, you don't know what they did. You don't know how much they hurt me. You don't know what trouble they've caused in my life. This I know, I may not know all that, but this I know that Yeshua was hanging on the tree in the most desperate and vulnerable of situations, surrounded by Goyim heathen and those that had disavowed him within his own Jewish community, and he still said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Walking in forgiveness and extending forgiveness to others and aspiring to have a, a, a right heart towards God is critical to our spiritual walk. It may be the biggest impediment to prayer. Theologians question if this is where the real problem is. We want to hold on to things. And yet, unforgiveness is the death of effective Prayer. Whereas forgiveness leads us to Calvary and resurrection life. Friends, if you're holding something against someone, before you partake of the Lord's Supper, please let it go. Please, for your sake, for their sake, for the kingdom's sake, for Messiah's sake, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Something will be loosed in your life when you come to that place. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Yeshua said, whenever you stand praying, perhaps an allusion to the ancient Amida prayer, that we pray a small section of it here in English. Whenever you stand praying, if you have... Does it really say this? If you have anything against anyone... Wow, that covers a lot of territory. If you have anything against anyone... The text doesn't say keep holding on to that to the rest of your days. It says if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. And then it adds the rejoinder that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. And it repeats what we already read in Matatiyahu. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And Yeshua's prayer continued, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations say, from the evil one. The juxtaposition of these two thoughts, the idea of forgiving and the idea of temptation and the evil one, the juxtaposition of these ideas in the prayer really strikes me. Maybe it does you also. It seems to be a plea to not be tempted to not be tempted towards evil, to not be tempted towards even a heart of unforgiveness, to make sure that we love the Lord our God, with all your heart, that that's how we love him. But if we tend to be unforgiving, we are prone towards the, the, the wiles of the enemy. We're prone towards the ways of the evil one. And we don't want that in our lives. We want the ways of the Lord in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, Rabshaul the parush, said it this way in verse 26. <laughs> and man, have I heard this one misquoted. It says, be angry and do not sin. <laughs> be angry, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, your wrath. Nor, notice what it says, give place to the devil. Friends, if you're dealing with these type of things, don't let the sun go down on this stuff. Because when day one goes by and it's not dealt with, it's really a little easier for day two to make it not dealt with too, And day three, and next thing you know, it's a rare view mirror time, although the object is still there. The issue is still there in the rare view mirror, but you're pressing on as if it wasn't. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And continues in verse 31 of Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger, let all clamor, let all evil speaking be put away from you along with all malice, and instead be kind to one another, be tender-hearted towards one another, be forgiving of one another, even as God and Yeshua forgave you. How many agree that's a high calling upon us as believers? That's a rubber meets the road situation. We face these type of things in real life. And the Lord's Prayer concludes, and I'll conclude with this as we prepare for the Lord's Supper here today. The Lord's Prayer concludes with what could be called a great doxology. A great doxology that's that's reminiscent of the words of King David. And others who knew the Lord in the way that he did and knew his power and knew the Lord's sovereignty, King David certainly did. He prayed in Talim in Psalm 25. He says, Lead me in your path and teach me, is how he prayed. Notice that. And we need the same thing. David sought to honor the Lord, and this is the conclusion of Yeshua's prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. For how long? Forever. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> so I'm thankful here today as we conclude and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. I'm thankful for Yeshua's response when he was asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. Aren't you glad for the Lord's prayer? I am. I think it's an important community prayer and we do it from time to time. And for over nearly 2,000 years, not over 2,000, but nearly 2,000 years, Yeshua's prayer, the words of this prayer in many different languages has been pondered and treasured and theologized and looked about and even prayed. But Yeshua did far more than teach us about prayer. He laid down his life willingly, has already been stated for you. He died for your sins, for your wrongs before God. He died for you. He shed his blood for you because he loves you. He gave himself up willingly so that we can experience new life through faith in our Messiah. And I'm so thankful, so thankful for the good work God's doing in many lives and many hearts here at Rosh Pina and well beyond here. I'm thankful for that. Will you please bow your head as we pray? And we're going to continue with the Lord's Supper Just take a moment to reflect. Reflect on your own life. Ask him to show you what it is he wants you to see. This is an important time here today as we prepare for Pesach, for the Chagamatzot, and for first fruits, this is an important time. And these elements represent much. They're just elements, but they represent a historical event, a historical, eternal event, where Yeshua gave his life for you. Let me read you what it says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Yeshua, on the same night in which he was betrayed, can you imagine that? Had every opportunity to be bitter, to unforgive, to say, Father, get them, they know what they're doing. But he didn't. That same night he was betrayed. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the berit chadashah in my dam, in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Hallelujah, he's coming back. And I want to continue reading a little further. In verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner Sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. We are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with this world.
0: You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10:40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.